Hello. Oh, awful. Um, this is the dollop. Hi. Hi. This is an American history podcast. Oh, Each week, I read a story from American history to my pal. Oh, God. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. What, what's happening? This is very disappointing. You're just not showing any energy. No, you're, what are you doing? Oh, you're trying, like, voices now? Uh, look, I'm just trying to make this thing, I'm trying to make this thing breathe a little bit. It, it's breathing. It's breathing fine. Put on some socks. Fuck you. God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. There's you are there. Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. I see done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Oh, it's far away. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Bro. November 16th, 1958. 1958. How you doing? Hey, all right. Timothy Anderson. Timmy. Was born to George, a laundry, laundry truck driver, and Jacqueline, a dental assistant in Chicago. Okay. His sister, Erin, was, was born a year later. Tim suffered from ulcerative colitis since infancy. Is that the same thing as, I don't know, uh, a d- disease that causes inflammation and sores in the lining of the large intestine? Oof. When it was finally diagnosed, doctors said there was no cure and Tim had to go on a special diet. Tim learned to control and hide the pain and symptoms. He was blonde, good looking and athletic, and he learned to fight as well. Hmm. Enrolled in Little League at age six, he became a good pitcher, and Tom's mom enrolled him in karate as well, and soon he was kickboxing. Okay. Jesus. He loved the fight gyms from the moment he walked in. Everything he had learned about eating the right foods, about controlling his pain, about denying his illness, had a reason. Uh, God, that's another fucking autocorrect. You know know what I'm just realizing that it is? I use pages on Mac, and the autocorrect on there is fucking horrible. Yeah, it's I know. It's, it's a shame when you have an autocorrect that's trying to do too much for you. It's really just... And like, then you can't you can't even fix words that you want to... Yeah. Like, it's not it's as easy pain. as other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you take a look at Android? Then I'll do it better, do better Mac. Uh, here was a place where he could prove he was not weak. He learned to fight while his stomach was bad. He learned how to control his bowels when food was running right through him, and some of the guy was punching him in the guts. Oof. You like that? I think we've all learned well, that. I, th- I think, but I That's think... That's just saying he didn't shit his a, pants and he wants a medal. Well, this is a guy who didn't shit his pants while he was getting punched in his, in his uh, shit place. Yeah, but how many... Th- I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to take down the lore of this, but, uh, you know, I think mo- most, most boxers... I've never watched a boxing match or an MMA yeah, fight where a guy colitis. shit his pants. I mean, yes, I get that. Sure. All right. Where, which is like a, I'm shitting myself now disease. Yeah, and I so didn't realize... he's real- getting punched in the tum-tums. Yeah, okay. And he's not pooping all over everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'm just. If I can use the technical terms, it's just it is it it's it's hard. It's yep. a hard thing to get credit for. I I don't know. I feel like I should get credit for not shitting myself. No, I think that's kind of how everyone we... who doesn't shit themselves should get, get credit for it. Well, that's going to be a lot of credit. Jacqueline, his mother, became sick from a rare lung disease when Tim was in high school. Aaron, his sister, broke her neck in a diving accident in the Jesus. summer of 1976 when she was 16. So that's why we have to have those little weird diving things on the side yep. of pools. Yep. It's a picture of her. A picture of a person when they... That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Tim began boxing locally, entering 
uh, under the name Rocky Mundo. Oh boy! Which was uh, Mundo was his mother's maiden name, but Rocky. It seems like he just Rocky Mundo. It seems like he just liked the Rocky movie. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Wait, what? This but he doesn't know the Rocky movie. Well, th- he named himself Rocky Mundo, and Rocky came out in '76, right? Yeah. What year are we talking now? I think it's right around '76, '77. Oh, okay. All right. That's uh, kind of hacky. That was pretty great. <laughs> Uh, by the time he went away to college to play baseball, so he's been picked by college to play baseball. Sure. Uh, he had fought more than 150 times and lost no more than a handful. And didn't shit his pants once. Never shit himself once, gentlemen. Rocky never shit his pants, Mondo. <laughs> <laughs> in this corner, wearing white, and he will not shit his pants. And in this corner, Shitty Marquez, who uh, shits himself all the time. I don't like this for matchup. <laughs> Shitting his pants, Marquez is a favorite in this fight to shit his pants. He's uh, fought 115 fights, shit his pants every single one of those fights. You can see him warming up here. 115 shits. He said how he prepared for the fight was he ate bad crab. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Tim's mother died when he was 20. The Chicago Cubs took him on and sent him to Boca Raton, Florida to play in the minor leagues. I just want to point out how weird of a shift that was. That was a weird shift. Okay. But his mother did have cancer. We had already stated that. Yeah. And then she passed, and, uh, and then he got drafted by the Cubs. Okay. And went to uh, Boca Raton. Well, also tragic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's play for the, w- the m- most winless team Let's in Let's play American for the Chicago history. Droughts. Uh, to make extra money, Tim became a bouncer at a club in Fort Lauderdale where he met also, none of that sounds good. Yeah, uh, being a bouncer at a club in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, that sounds like a terrible You life. may as well just call yourself mullet. Well, that sounds like something you get sentenced to by a judge. Like a, it's 70s or 80s being a bouncer in Fort Lauderdale. No, no, that's horrendous. Uh, give me the loaded gun option. <laughs> that's where he met lifelong friend Jim Murphy, who was another bouncer. Quote, I gave Tim an herbal mix for his problems and the results came pretty quickly, Murphy said. Tim was so proud, he even called me into the bathroom to show me what he did. Oh, boy. That's, that's when a friendship's gone too far. <laughs> no, nobody's that close. Hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, come here and look at this poop I took. Oh, my God. I mean, look how, at that. Yeah. What do you think of that, Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> that's from your herbs, my friend. Uh, you know, I'm okay without this part of it. Usually it's all over the wall. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Look how big. That's like a thing. One Take piece. care, bud. Thank you. One piece. That's because of you. See you later, man. I'm going to name it. Get in the car. Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim Murphy also said, when Tim would go to the beach, he would put on suntan lotion on himself and then spend five minutes in one position, move his body a few degrees for another five minutes, and then on and on. Wonderful guy. So innocent and naive. That that guy doesn't sound wonderful. No, it just sounds weird. Yeah. He's like a a tanning sundial kind of thing. Uh, he was a wonderful guy, so innocent and naive with a quirky personality and a witty sense of humor. I know a very few people who I've met in my life to be more honest, kinder, or harbor more integrity. Okay. That's fucking Tim Anderson. Yeah. That's no, that's no joke. No, that's Timmy. Anderson pitched in the minors for a few years, but his basketball wasn't fast enough for the majors. It was just, it was it just was, a ball. It was like three, <laughs> it was like three miles per hour too slow. Okay. Which in the majors is like, I'm going to hit a home run off you every time. Um, The Cubs gave him him an ultimatum, choose uh, boxing or baseball. So then Anderson chose boxing. Okay. At 24 years old, he made his pro boxing debut in June 1983. And over the next two years, he built up a record of 13 and three. Okay. 
Anderson split with his trainer and moved to California, sparring at a local gym called Benny and the Jets. Wow. It's uh, not a long-term name, I hope. (laughs) There's not a lot of forethought in that. Hey, you guys, I want, to open up a, I want to open up a boxing gym that closes in like 13 months. I bet you now it's just in the same place called the Macarena. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This name's going to last forever. It's just like a lifelong name, Benny Dude. and the Jets. Dude, show me a time when that song ain't great. Show me a time. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Let's box. All right, here we go. Uh, an employee there set up a meeting with Tim and a former local rock concert promoter named Rick Parker. Parker was looking for a way into boxing promotion, and by the end of the dinner, they were in business together. Okay. Rick convinced Anderson to fight at the heavyweight level, and Tim agreed after telling Rick he would need six months to bulk up. Wow. So I don't know what he weighed, but uh, but that's never a good sign when a boxing promoter says, hey, let's go for the richest one. Yeah. That, that, that's got to be a rough six months. Fuck. <laughs> Richard L. Parker was born June 4th, 1955 in Springfield, Missouri to a single mother with an older half-sister named Diane McVeigh. After moving to Florida at 13, Rick dropped out of school at 16 years old. Good. Always a good decision. He became a pool hustler. Uh, Oh, man. I missed the time when that could be a job title. (laughs) That was a good fucking time when your occupation was you were a fucking pool hustler. Just put that down on the... uh, on the application? Yeah. For four years, I've been hustling pool, but now I want to work. I want to go to one work of those, in accounting. I want to go to one of those job sites right now. Just put down just pool, type hustler. In, pool hustler. What do you got for me? Huh? I can make anything happen. Huh? <laughs> uh, so uh, apprenticeship. He would uh, he would travel around towns in Florida, staying two or three days in each town, never returning to a town twice. He would pretend to be drunker than he was and used a pool cue that looked like a house one, calling it Sneaky Pete. Oh, man, I love this guy. <laughs> hey, Sneaky Pete took another one down. How you doing, Sneaky? Oh, man, you got your own cue? Oh, no, all I got is this, this is... thing. And then he turns to the camera and goes, come on, Sneaky Pete. <laughs> one more, baby. What are you, who are you talking to? Uh, just my, uh, my, not, not the cue. What are okay. you accusing me of? I'm just saying. you got Fine. Uh, all right. You got me. It's what? a hustle. This is Sneaky Pete, and I'm a hustler. <laughs> what? All right. Look, I was going to take you for all your money. Here, take it. Take You're it all. I'm sorry. You're not very good at this. Good. Goodbye. You won't seem drunk. Now let's go home, Sneaky Pete. Sneaky Pete. <laughs> After living this way for a few years, Parker married and moved to Orlando, Florida. Uh, there he met a neighbor making the green in his bathtub. Hmm? I'm sorry? The green. All right. How about a little... The green was an all-purpose cleaner that was sold door-to-door. Spill dirt on the carpet and show how great the product works. Rick was in. He started making the green himself, selling it as Sensation. Oh, my God. What? this? I missed this time, David. This is so when early When you could 80s. just make a bathroom cleaner in your bathtub no. and then go sell it door-to-door. It's so 70s and early 80s. Oh, man. Hey, check out Sensation. Sensation. I love that he just met a guy who was making this shit in a bathtub. Yeah. Well, that guy was probably like, hey, what do you mean? He's like, I'm going to start doing it, too. He's like, no, that's my job. No, you can't just take the green. Yeah, meet Suntastic. Hey, let me show you how I make the green. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to make it, too. What are you talking about? What, what happened to Florida? It used to be so so honorable here. Uh, he started making the green himself, uh, selling it a sensation. He would place a small ad in the local paper asking, quote, do you want to see the world? 
And using what? that using that that ad, Parker assembled a collection of street kids and drifters to sell Sunsation door to door. Oh my god. He paid them ten percent Oh my god of commission. Ten oh, percent in commission. Oh man, he He's the real sneaky Pete. He went out ac- across all the South. It cost forty nine cents to make a bottle, and it was sold for forty nine dollars. What the fuck? Fuck right. Those are some margins. Forty. So the kids are getting <laughs> so four so ninety a pop. Everybody's getting fucked except for him. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rick then left his wife, had a son with his second wife. Because <laughs> you're riding high, baby. You're on the sun. You're on the Sensation Express. There's only seat. There's only a seat for one. You know what? The Sun Station Express is going up, and there's only room for one man. You're out. Listen, babe. I admit, I said I'd be with you forever, but that's before I saw my life through the Sensation Prism. God damn it! I wish I had met the Green before I met you. This is the house that Sensation built. Well, uh, he had a son with another wife. Uh, another Sensation paid her off. Oof. Took his son and married another woman named Holly. Okay, so that's all right. That's three. Sure. He brought his half sister Diane into the business. By the time he was twenty-five years old, Parker was making two thousand five hundred dollars a day. Oh, from Sensation. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. And wore fifty thousand worth of jewelry. He's like a uh, drug dealer. Oh wow. He sounds like Dykstra a little. You still like this guy? Uh, I'm not going to, you know, in the way that, (laughs) yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like, but I don't like that I like him. I know I shouldn't, but. I feel like by the end is you're going to like Tim and not so much this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. We Uh, all find our heroes. Parker hired a driver and bodyguard. (laughs) Yeah. I just love that he is. He's probably got a big roll of cash. And he's just like the cleaning liquid champion. He sounds of the like South. Steve Martin and the jerk when he invents those glasses. <laughs> he began promoting rock shows around Florida for Bon Jovi, Rat, and the Almond Brothers and others. <laughs> hey, I'm off board now, baby. <laughs> rat? A rat. One day, flying back from Las Vegas, Parker met boxing promoter Don King on an airplane. That will not be a good meeting. King promoted the biggest names in boxing. At the time, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, Mike Tyson, and Evander Holyfield. King told Parker to get him into the box to get into the box- boxing business. So King was like, "You got to get into the boxing business with a big white heavyweight because that's where the money was." Oh, here we go. Yep, here we go. Quote: He was saying what? Said Don King. I never sat behind beside him on no airplane. I never <laughs> told him to get into boxing. Why would I do that? Asked if he is certain, considering this supposedly was 11 years ago, King laughed. Let me ask you something. You think I would forget meeting someone who looked like he did and calling himself Elvis? That's new information. Parker demanded that everyone call him Elvis. Oh, my God. He thought he really looked like Elvis. You know, the Elvis, said Rob Resson, his former business partner. (laughs) Not Elvis Costello. This Elvis weighed 344 pounds. Wore gold glasses, covered his baldness with a puffy red ponytail wig, and sang terribly and played the piano worse. I mean, th- this guy. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of great detail. <laughs> Made people call him Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, he had a limo, a Ferrari, more money than I had ever seen, said Tim Anderson of Rich Parker. A guy with money like that, 
why wouldn't I trust him? Oh, yeah. There we go. That's a good quote. <laughs> Some good thinking right there. That sums up every place that this story goes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, why boy. wouldn't I trust a guy with money? He was motivated by money and nothing else. Holy shit, this guy's <laughs> got money. Who else are you going to trust? The yeah. guy who doesn't have money. Yeah, for real. What the fuck? Yeah. Look at this guy. He's rolling in <laughs> He's, it. Guys who have look, money are good guys. His name's Elvis. He's got a fake ponytail. This is a wagon He's, I want to hitch to. He's selling cleaners out of bathtubs. <laughs> He's, this is the guy. He's got a bunch of orphans selling sensation for him. <laughs> this guy's perfect. Perfect. In the spring of uh, 1987, Rick arranged Tim's first heavyweight fight in Missouri, where he got knocked out in round two. Okay. They then traveled around with boxer Randall Tex Cobb. Oh, dude. And his manager. Ah. Uh, Randall Tex Cobb. Anderson's record was five and one within a few months. Cobb had taken a year and a half off from boxing to act in movies. Yeah. The biker guy in Raising Arizona is probably what he's best known for. Uh, the guy who's always on the... Oh, the be- he's the best. Yeah. He's, he, he, had that broke, he had that broken nose, yeah. so he'd always talk like this. Uh, and uh, he was looking to get back into boxing now. Okay. Cobb's manager got Rick Parker into cocaine. Okay. And in July of 1987, Tim found Cobb's manager den- dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So this is just a good group of this dudes. Is a good, this is a good circle. This is a good this group a good to circle. hang out with. This is, a found, good, this is a good circle. He found some solid dudes. Yeah, this is a good circle. Well, you one know, guy's not as solid because there's a hole in his and, head. Well, besides that, but, well, the other people are putting holes in their head, too, just with drugs, but... I think it's good that you meet a guy who introduces you to cocaine and then blows his head off. That's always a good sign. I like... I, I, anytime you hear that it, a man is motivated by money and cocaine is introduced, and yeah. it's the 80s, yeah. things are going to be yeah, pretty good. It's going to be good. Randall Tex Cobb once told Anderson, quote, I know you can fight because the way you dress, you'd embarrass the Puerto Ricans and the faggots. Oh, righty. There so that's go. Randall Tex Cobb. Good, good, good. Bring it at home. Laying down the truth as only he knows how. Yeah. And uh, this year, a Republican presidential candidate. <laughs> He's dead. Meanwhile, Parker was still running his cleaning business, and he wanted Tim to beat up a kid working for him who was dealing drugs. What? So he's got a kid who is also, who's, who's figured out that if he can get into people's houses, he can also sell them, sell them cocaine. Uh-huh. He can be like, hey, you want to buy this cleaning? What about this this blow? Oh, Jesus. Right, it's actually a really good idea. I mean. It's a really good idea. <laughs> you, I'm trying to think. Of, do you want to try some Fantascoke? <laughs> Would you like Sensation or some Fantascoke? Rick thought drug dealing made him look bad. Rick is. <laughs> I'm not really sure if that's true, Rick. Rick. A lot of things are making you look bad, baby. The, the hair. The hair's not good. The 344 pounds. You're a big guy. You're sweating. There's a lot of jewelry. Also, you're trying to be Elvis. $50,000 worth of jewelry. <sighs> Elvis. Uh, so uh, Tim refused to punch the kid in front of a bunch of Rick's people in a parking lot. Instead, one of Rick's bodyguards put a gun in the kid's mouth, and then punched it into his mouth, breaking his teeth. Oh, Jesus Christ. How do you feel about Rick now? Not, I'm off. But you, he, he lost me at Bon Jovi, but this, okay. is, this, is, this is worse. <laughs> Rick was also moving up as a manager. Uh, Parker was also moving up as a manager. By October 1987, he was promoting George Foreman in the beginning of his comeback, setting up three fights for him that ended in knockouts. Okay. Then a fight was set up between Anderson and Foreman. Okay. Tim Anderson gained his greatest fame as a fighter on David Letterman's show. All right. He actually didn't get on the show 
but he became David's favorite fighter after Tim knocked down the referee in an ESPN bout against Roy Saffold in Las Vegas. (laughs) Okay. Once I read that, I picture it in my mind. I remember that was a famous video of a dude... Does, it just, he, he intentionally knocks the okay, ref Okay, here's down. what happened. So Saffold bit, Saffold bit Tim and hit him after the bell. Tim okay. went back to hit him, and the ref stepped in the ray, way, and then Tim hit the ref. Oh, shit. So the re- it was like an accidental. Yeah. Okay, right. Okay. And Letterman so showed it four or five <laughs> times a night. You know how you would just get something yeah, yeah, in a plate? Letterman. So that was what he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when the referee finally got up, he took, a, took two points away from Tim, and that cost him the fight. Jeez. Lies, cheats, whores, and a couple of nice guys, Tim said when asked about the fighting world during a build-up to the Foreman fight. Anderson was 29. It's a funny game to be in. At this point, he didn't really know his trainer, and he didn't like his trainer's style, and he was having a hard time finding a sparring partner. Oh, things are probably good for a fight. Things in a manager usually help you out. Yeah, yeah. Things you need when training. Well, that's what a, man- a manager would help you find a sparring partner. <laughs> yeah, that's for sort sure. Of, yeah. yeah. And a trainer that you would know and something yes. like that. Um, Tim was not your typical fighter. He held the degree. He holds a degree in kinesiology. 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 Right. Okay. It's the muscle. Right. Stuff, this, muscle yeah. movement. Kinesiology from the Fort Lauderdale Medical Center, which earned him the nickname Doc Anderson. Okay. For a while, he put his degree to use at his Chicago health club, offering expertise in physical therapy, giving massages, and running a sun tanning bed. Uh huh. <laughs> the latter moved Steve Sweet Kid Cooper, one of Anderson's 15 knockout victims, to remark, "The guy makes his living giving people suntans. I want a rematch." Oh, well, that's some shit talk. Before Tim could get in the ring and hit someone, he had to mentally psych himself up for three days. Three days of staring at walls and finding some hate in him said Rick Parker's sister. Many times I wondered why Tim was even in boxing. He always had the same answer. He liked working out. <laughs> well, there's other ways. <laughs> what about working out? Yeah. Hey, uh, what about just working out? <laughs> no. Nope. Pretend there's a fight. Uh, so the fight happened between Foreman and Anderson. Each time Anderson was knocked down, he popped back up. Okay. It got to where fans began applauding his courage after each knockdown. Oh, Jesus. And the referee actually congratulated Anderson after he stopped the fight. <laughs> hey, man, that was amazing. He must have gotten knocked down like 25 times. You, Just dude, congratulations. That was fantastic. You are really bad. It's amazing how you keep getting hit, falling down, and getting back up. Like, you lost that fight seven times. You lost that fight so many times. It's crazy. <laughs> That's, at some point, people are like, no, stop. Uh, but Foreman was impressed enough to hire Anderson as his sparring partner. Okay. Anderson understood what this meant, and so he referred to this night as the turning point in my career. That's that's not what you want to walk away from a fight with. The other guy, like, beating the fuck out of me so much, he's going to pay me to do it from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, this meant that suddenly he was in demand. <laughs> to get the shit kicked out of him. Overnight, he was wanted by any heavyweight who was making a comeback. Larry Holmes called, Jim Young, anyone who wanted to be someone again wanted to fight Tim Anderson. Oh, boy. He's on the has-been trail. Yeah, I mean, that Every is... Every dude's like, I want to fight this guy. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to start with an easy one. Rick got cut out of the... Uh, uh, Rick Parker got cut out of the, f- out of the foreman comeback by other managers, trainers, and investors who were involved. I'm sure he took it well. He ended up suing and oh. received a settlement of $150,000. Okay, which he now wore around his neck. So now Rick was uh, obviously rolling in cash from the cleaning business and, and boxing. Uh, 
partner Rob Russon says Parker began spending as much as twenty five hundred a night on cocaine parties. Oh wow, that's a lot of money. That's how you lose fifty grand on your body, real easy. Uh, I'd be doing an ounce of coke a night, and oh. he'd be trying to hang with me. Remembers Paul Sonny Barch, a self described quote punch drunk boxer and co conspirator of Parker's. Jesus. It was the good life. Girls, money, drugs. Everyone had a good time. Everyone partied. But about Anderson, Bart said, he was a flake. He never hung with us. I know he didn't do drugs. I don't know if he even drank a beer all the time I saw him. He was kind of off by himself. Totally weird guy. I love how he's the fucking weirdo. I love that the boxer, because boxers have to take such good care of themselves. And I love that there's a boxer doing what boxers are supposed to do. And this guy's like, look at this fucking freak. Look at the square. (laughs) <laughs> Look at this guy. He's all like, I make a living off my body. It's not a fight unless I'm already bleeding from my nose when I get in the ring, kid. <laughs> that, that is how you want to enter the ring. Coked out of your tits with a fucking bloody nose. What? Did you fight in the locker room? No, I'm just having a good, good, good time. Yeah. It's the good life. In 1990, before a fight in Fort Myers, a just-so-noted drugs visit was scheduled at a local high school with some boxers. Oh, <laughs> Anderson opened Parker's limousine door as it rolled up, and several people were inside doing cocaine. (laughs) Anderson said, quote, I slammed the door. I was pretty upset. We went in and talked to the kids, but our relationship was pretty much severed right then. After the fight, I told Rick I was leaving, and I wanted my money. Oh, boy. But Parker had him on a contract and guaranteed guaranteed him $10,000 to go to South Africa and fight Pierre Kortzer. Okay. Parker said he'd fly a trainer over for Anderson, but no one showed, leaving him training in an empty gym with punching bags. Wow. While he waited in the dressing room before the fight, two cops with rifles came in and asked Tim if, quote, he's going to lose the fight tonight. Mm. Tim answered, I wouldn't bet on it. Then one of the cops hit him in the face with the butt of his rifle and said, yes, you are. Jesus Christ. Anderson entered the already the ring already having a bloody nose. Oh, what? So Jesus Christ. From getting hit in the head with a rifle. Not, not the, the good, good life. Not the good life. Not the good life. Not the blow. <laughs> no. The bad one. Yeah, the bad, the head the by bad a rifle. Yep. Uh, he lost in round two, partially because he'd already been Yeah, he got hit, hit with a head fucking with a, rifle butt. God. Uh, he got his $10,000, flew home, and moved to Fort Lauderdale to get away from Parker. He met a woman named Gail, married her, and divorced her within a year and a half. Relationships seem yeah, to be they're an issue. Hard, especially in Florida. Anderson figured he was owed about 148000 by Parker between the weekly salary and the 50% split of his boxing purses. That's so a, he's just not getting any of his money. Is that how much money? That's a crazy horseshit split. If oh, you're, yeah. But that's what they get, isn't it? That's what they. Well, boxing yeah. promoters are the worst. Yeah. Think of pimps. Yeah. Anderson had also begun writing a book about his experience in boxing called, quote, Liars, Cheats, and Whores. <laughs> <laughs> Parker claimed he wasn't paying up until sh- Parker said he wasn't paying up until he was assured his name wasn't slandered in the book. If it was, he told Anderson, "Quote: I'll kill your sister." Wow. What? That's fucked. Well, I mean, you don't get to be the the, the king of shitty cleaning liquid <laughs> unless you kill some people. Man, it's got to be weird when you're like the guy who invented um, Sensation threatened to kill my sister. <laughs> Over boxing money because of his drug problem. And then he said he could clean it up. <laughs> yeah. They'll never catch me. I've got the green, bitch. I've got the green. 
Even even a brown carpet, carpet cover and blood comes out white. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's what he's. That's what his yeah. demos are doing at the door. Now you can see here. I've got some blood that's actually turned that rust color, which means it's been there for a while. Just a couple of sprays right here. A sensation. Look at that coming right out. This right is out. real human blood this and is, bits of skull. This is a little. This is a chunky stain. Uh, his one uh, one time partner Rob Russin called Parker quote a monster. Don Hazelton, the former executive director of the State Athletic Commission that regulates professional boxing in Florida, said Parker was, quote, everything bad about boxing come to life. Wow. You look up scum in the dictionary, and there Rick is, says Steve Benson, who co-promoted a fight with Parker in September 1992. Benson says he was never paid by Parker. When he began telling others this, trouble began. Parker would call two, three, four times a night, late at night, when I was in bed, saying, your life is over. We're going to get your wife. You better be looking over your shoulder. <sighs> Hazel, this, I would never think a guy in cocaine would do this. No, this doesn't sound like cocaine behavior. Hazelton was threatened by Parker after the same fight, too. Quote, legally, physically, every way he could think of. The fight was between two Parker clients, Randall Tex Cobb and Sonny Barch. Sonny Barch, who was the, the party monster. Cobb had backed out of fighting Tim Doc Anderson at the last minute and fought Barch instead. Quote, Tex saw what shape Anderson was in and got scared, Barch says of the fight that lasted 70 seconds, in which he fell down three times. I was never hit. The sellout crowd booed as the Wait, fight... Wait, that, that's the Sonny-Tex te- Cobb fight? Yeah. And Tex just beat the fuck out of Sonny. No, Sonny didn't oh, get Sun- Sonny was never hit. He just fell Sonny, down. Sonny oh. was never hit, but he fell down three times and the oh. fight ended. Oh, Jesus. It was so, a 70-second fight literally in what which we were one guy about. never got hit yeah. and fell down three times. So what and we then just ended the fight. About. Yeah. The sellout crowd <laughs> that's booed. Like na- that's like the naked gun. <laughs> the sellout crowd booed as the fight ended, and the ring announcer said, the ring announcer said, well, after that, I think we have to cleanse ourselves. Oh, Jesus. The ring announcer. After that, I think we need a cleansing. <laughs> that was pathetic. How about a real fight? Let's get refund. <laughs> Let's get ready to refund. <laughs> On August 17th. 19- Let's see those receipts and ticket stubs for your money back. On August 17th, 1989, Mark Gastineau. Mm-hmm. Do you know Mark Gastineau? Yeah, yeah. Okay. While holding hands with his girlfriend, Brigitte Nielsen. Is it Bridget or Brigitte? I think it's Bridget. The Bridget. Is it? She seems like a woman who Brid- calls herself. Brid- no, it might be Brigitte. Bridget. Isn't it? Whatever. Okay, well, we'll call her Bridget. Sure. Bridget Nielsen, uh, at a press conference, said that he wanted to become a professional boxer. Okay. Quote, I know my potential, my capabilities, my aggression. The former New York Jets defensive end said. Gastonow, 32 years old, had retired in the middle of the football season after nearly 10 years with the Jets. He set an NFL career record of 107 and a half quarterback sacks. Quote, I love crushing quarterbacks, but deep down I've always wanted to become a fighter. Wow. In People Magazine... Bridget said, I think it's Brigitte. Brigitte, I think it is Brigitte. We'll go with Bridget. Bridget said, Mark and I are going to get married. The exact date hasn't been set yet, but this year. The news was a surprise to Mark's wife, Lisa. (sighs) We're still not close to a divorce, she said. Not unless he comes up with a settlement tomorrow. (laughs) Wow. It's genius. Parker convinced Rick Gastonow to sign a contract with his company and called up George Foreman's new manager to tell him, that a fight between the two could make them both $5 million. 
Foreman's manager laughed and told Parker that when Gastonow is at 12 and 0, they'll talk. And Parker took this as a guarantee. Oh, Jesus. He began hand picking opponents for Gastonow. The first was Derek Dukes, a pro wrestler who was paid 600. Quote, all we were looking for was somebody that had laid down, Bart said. He knew how to fall with a pulled punch. He had one of those pin me and pay me attitudes. <laughs> Dukes wasn't even allowed to throw a punch. The first one Mark threw close to him, he was just to make it look good and fall down. That fight lasted 18 seconds. Uh, well, if you're going to be like a fake, if you're going to do a fake fight, yeah, you can't go for five minutes. I know, I don't understand. What the fuck's with this 18-second shit? Because it's actually hard to run around like that. Yeah, but 18 seconds? You're a box. I mean, people are going <laughs> to well, look wait. at you as a competent fighter when you step in the ring at well, minimal. The, f- the fight was 18 seconds, which included the 10 that were needed for the ref to count him out. Oh, and plus, with box ta- with boxing so glove like taps, eight, we're probably talking about a three-second actual combat. Second fight. Yeah, three seconds of actual combat. Uh, April 8th, 1992, Gassineau defeated Lon Liebergen with a first-round punch that cracked three bones in Liebergen's skull and ended his boxing career. Jesus. During, he said, quote, I think for my own well-being, I'm going to have to give up boxing. <laughs> the referee stopped about at two minutes, 38 seconds of the first round. Okay. Parker set up eight more easy fights for Gastineau, who reached a record of 9-0. and He never made it past the second round. Okay. Then Parker called Tim. <clears throat> they talked once in two years. Tim knew something was up. Parker said, I'm going to make, I'm going to make up the 148,000. I owe you. When I, when Tim asked how Parker said, I want you to fight Mark Gastineau. Anderson said, he told me I'd be paid 500,000. And all I have to do is lose in the first or second round. And he goes, we'll make it look good. He knocks you out. You come to the interview, talk about how, you were a sparring partner of George Foreman's, and you tell everyone Mark Gastineau hits as hard as George. Now that puts a little that 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 puts a little uh, spin back on the last guy who said that he was retiring from boxing because he yeah. got hit by so yeah. he got hit so hard. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, did he embellish his bone breaks? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if his bones were even broken. He probably was fine. Yeah. Um, how is he getting so much money? How would you get to this? Like, okay, well, Gastineau is a famous person. Okay, so that's how, but. Were, the, so his fights were already on TV once he started once he Really? Like, oh, yeah. I remember his fights on TV. He was oh, okay. one of the worst boxers I've ever seen in my life, but he would win the fights. Yeah, his fights were, yeah. Okay. And, I'll, and I'll put up, uh, I'll put up, there's a great one. I'll put it up on, uh, on the Facebook page, and I'll link to it from the, uh, from the Twitter. And if our, if our, if our uh, web page is up, it might be up by then, right? Aren't we? Oh, it's close, yeah. It's I close. mean, I think we, yeah, we just have to talk to. Uh, Anderson says, <clears throat> let me think about it. Knowing it was Saturday and the fight was scheduled for Tuesday. Uh-huh. So Parker assumed the fight was on. On Tuesday morning, Parker and Gastineau came to Anderson's room. Rick says, we want to set up the fight and go over what's going to happen. Tim looked right at Mark and said, Mark, I'm going to hurt you. Oh, yes. And Rick says, what? <laughs> and Tim says, I'm going to hurt him. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And their mouths were wide open, said Tim. <laughs> and Anderson knew it was too late for them to get someone else. <laughs> In the second round of the fight, Gassineau asked Tim, when are you going home? Meaning, when was he going to take a dive? Yeah. Referee Marty Salmon 
said said talk of the fix was rife before the match. I told them if there was anything suspicious, they weren't getting paid. Anderson then went out and beat the crap out of Gastineau. It was no contest. Man against boy. <laughs> some of the fight commentary. I'm going to hurt you. What? Some of the I'm going to hurt commentary, him. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hurt him. Some of the fight commentary from the night, which was broadcast nationally on USA Tuesday Night Fights. Oh, in wow. June, I saw this fight in June 1992. Quote, this is from the fight commentary. Gassano opponents have been caref- been picked carefully. His toughest fights may have been with Bridget Nielsen. He looks more like a strong man than a professional boxer. I think he's made a mistake by going on national television. Oh, wow. The crowd starts to boo Gassano, who hasn't thrown a punch. This is the longest Gassano has gone, three rounds. He has to be wondering now, how am I going to get out of this one with a win? He is finding out exactly where he was in the first nine fights. He has stepped up to another level. But you know what level Tim Doc Anderson is at. <laughs> you can see all the panicked faces in Gastonow's corner. <laughs> they can see their dreams, hopes, and big dollars going down the drain here tonight. We were concerned with Anderson having stage fright tonight. He's now dancing and toying with the big lumber in Gastonow. Gastonow constantly turns away like he's afraid to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. After losing the, what the fight. Fuck was he, what was the plan when he got to George Foreman? I don't know. I think they just wanted to get there, and then they didn't care. They then just wanted whatever, a bunch of just money. Watch a man die. Because I mean, he probably wasn't making. He's probably making a million or something playing football. Yeah. So this was a chance to make you know half that. If for he would just get hit and fall down. Yeah. <clears throat> After losing the fight in the fifth round, Gassina says this is also a really shitty boxing promoter. Yeah. Like he's the worst. Right. He's, yeah. Because he's mean, taking I know. a man and, and yeah. who could get seriously hurt. Yeah. And just like this guy could get fucking killed in the ring because yeah. he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, well, and especially so he when he goes up there. against George Foreman after getting a bunch yeah. of actors. I mean, he never, he never, they never even came close to teaching him how to box. <laughs> yeah. They just didn't care. Don't worry about boxing, Mark. We got that. After losing the fight in the fifth round, Mark Gassino says in the ringside interview, I ain't, I'm probably going to get a new girlfriend. Because <laughs> he's not with Bridget Nielsen anymore. You know, you can't have family problems and go into the ring. Mentally, I wasn't there. I need a more stable home life. I can't spend the nights arguing. I'll continue to fight and actually show show everybody that I'm a true winner. And this was a total night off. And there's no way in the world I should have got beat. Oh, God. I never saw my brother so mad, said Rick's sister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He must have been fucking pissed. Rick was absolutely obsessed with getting that win against Tim back. He kept saying if he got that win, he'd be back on track to a big payday. He didn't pay attention to his other fighters. All he cared about was working on this rematch. <laughs> September 15th. A rematch of Mark and, and Anderson. Anderson? Yeah. Oh, boy. So it's gone down a little bit from the Mark uh, Foreman. Yeah, well, I should say so. Uh, September 5th, 1992, Mark Gassino won his 11th fight against Rick Horde without throwing a punch. He put his full weight forward onto Horde, who was wearing a knee brace, and that was the fight. Oh Jesus! <laughs> All right, just lean on. A knee just brace? lean on. I like how the, these fights are so fixed that they're just not even boxing. They're not even hitting you. They're just falling yeah, down. That's what I'm saying. It's like, just people falling down. There's no like. There's no boxing. Some illusion would be nice. No, no illusion at all. Yeah, it's just a guy falling down and then going. Eh, there you <laughs> a go. guy with a bad knee. <laughs> Like, what do you, when you see... Hey, they don't call me bad knee Rick for nothing. Yeah, all right. Well, welcome into the ring. One crutch. <laughs> I'm going down. Going down Tony, fighting Mark Gastineau. <laughs> yeah. The thing about a lot of these guys is that they have 
they have different names in different um, states. So they'll in one state they'll be like thirty and 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 sixty, and their oh. name's Mark Wilson. And then they go to another state, and they're Why and they're that? like they're like five and and forty, and their name is Jeff Davis. Why? Because uh, the boxing commissions will make a it's like if you're s- if you're clearly a canned tomato that's just getting hit and falling down, uh-huh. they'll. They'll make you stop boxing, so then you just change your name. So they've just got all these different names, aliases in different states. Oh, and geez. they're just making like two thousand dollars a night to get to go down. Interesting, most of interesting it, life. Most of them make it look good. Like these guys, not these even, guys. Yeah, these guys weren't even making it look good. Like, well, most of the guys could actually beat up Mark Gaston. Like those guys are yeah. actually know how to they know how to box. Yeah, but they also know how to go down. But you can't have a guy who's going to win the fight who has no idea how to box beat up a guy who does know how to box and is supposed to go down. You can't have that. So yeah. that's why he gets worse guys. <laughs> right. What a fucking disaster. On December 3rd, Parker arranged a rematch with Tim Anderson in Gassenau's home state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma had no boxing commission. Parker told, you know what that means? Well, that means that it's zero rules. Yeah. There's no rules. There's and, no rules. Right. No one's watching over shit. Right. Parker told, told Anderson that he needed him to knock Gastonow out. Because their contract said that when Gastonow lost two fights, Parker no longer had to pay his expenses, but still retained the right to act as a promoter. So that's the... What a, what a 180. <laughs> Tim, Jim Murphy, and Tim's father agreed that this was a setup, but Doc Anderson decided to fight anyway. Parker promised him money up front for expenses, a week in a good hotel, 3000 for the fight, and Tim's trainer would be flown in. Tim promised Jim Murphy he wouldn't eat or drink around Parker. Okay. Is that a good sign? Not a good sign. That you're involved with a decent I, gentleman if you're not supposed to eat or drink around him? Yeah. No, that's nor- that's a normal thing to be happening in the 1990s. <laughs> to need a food tester. Of course, Anderson's trainer didn't go to Oklahoma City. Shocking. Strangers worked in his corner that night, and, the water, they, and the water they gave him tasted sweet. Oh, boy. What's... <laughs> well, I'll get him a little sugar in his water. When he asked about it, he was told they had put a little sugar in it to give him a little additional energy. He remembers drinking water from cups handed to him while waiting 45 minutes for Gastonow to appear in the ring. Oh, my God. So Gastonow's delaying, and he's just sitting there drinking this sweet water. Oh, dear. What? This, well, this he needs what? his tester. What? This water is going to... In the third round, I started to feel nauseous. I was seeing colors, and it seemed like there were more people in the ring and more people around the ring. He kept saying he was lightheaded and dizzy and was going to throw up, said Houston Perkins, the referee. I thought maybe Tim had eaten something bad. Gassenow hadn't even hit him, and it probably wouldn't have mattered if he had. Gassenow had no punching power. Gassenow couldn't beat me in a fight. (laughs) This was the third Gassenow fight I'd referee, and let's just say... You knew in every one of them who was expected to win. Anderson's legs were wobbly. His mind was numb. Gassano caught him with a right hook above the ear in the sixth round, and Anderson went down. He got up, but his mind was gone, and the fight was lost. Wow. I went back to the locker room and started throwing up in this big garbage can, Anderson said. The next thing I knew, I was on the cement floor of the locker room and being woken up by this janitor. It was three in the morning. Everyone had left me on the floor. What? What? That's insane. It's just a. It's just the nineties. This is what happened. How did in the nobody? 90s. How Wait, does, is this the seventeen nineties? No, it's the nineties. How does anyone? Oklahoma. Uh, you know how all the all these people love their state that has, that has no fucking rules. Well, this is the kind of shit that happens. Still, in a state you'd rules. think somebody would check on him. 
An ambulance took him to the hospital. The doctor told Tim Anderson he had been drugged. Oh, Jesus. Later that morning, Anderson went to Parker's hotel room to collect his money, and the two had it out in front of Parker's entourage. Tim accused Parker of drugging him. Parker said, Mark was in great shape. He just beat you. <laughs> I love that. Tim this responded, guy is the best. Look, I'm not going to beat George Foreman, and I'm not going to beat Larry Holmes, but I'm never going to lose to Mark Gassineau in a fair fight. Never. You screwed me. Anderson received 2000 for the fight and 1000 from the first Gastonau fight. It's not a lot of money. It's shit. It's not sensation cash. A prim- preliminary report on Tim's blood showed the presence of a slew of drugs, including arsenic and LSD. Holy shit. But a final analysis was never completed. For the next two years, Anderson suffered from debilitating dizziness and nausea. Wow. He was never the same, said Jim Murphy. He couldn't get out of bed. And when he did, he would bump into things. He had vertigo. Doctors couldn't find anything. For six months, he was bedridden. There's no question he was drugged, and it killed his life, period. He couldn't walk out. He didn't box at all. The guy that I knew was dead from that point on. I felt like I was on a carnival ride. I was so dizzy all the time, said Anderson. His final boxing record was 27-16-1 and one with 13 KOs. Wow. December 19th, 1992, Mark Gastineau was arrested on a warrant stemming from Arizona drug charges. Oh, boy. He is arrested for picking up a package of 200 amphetamines at the Phoenix airport. Authorities said he failed to attend a counseling session, submit to urine tests, pay fees, and respond to letters from the program. He was released from jail after posing, posting a $5,000 bail. Parker's problems began in August 1993 when Paul Sonny Barch told the Florida Athletic Commission that he was paid 2000 to lose a fight in about in, in 1992. I don't against, know much about Sonny, but Texcom. you can't trust him. <laughs> His whole vibe is that you should not be letting... You should no, not, no, no. Yeah, I would not have faith in this guy. <laughs> uh, to lose a fight against Tex Cobb. Tim, Tim Anderson also claimed he was offered 500000 by Parker to throw the fight against Gastonow. Russin told the commission he was present when wrestler-slash-boxer Derek Dukes was instructed by Parker to intentionally lose a fight in Gastineau's pro debut. In Florida, fixing fights is a misdemeanor termed running a sham. The penalty is up to 60 days in jail and a $500 fine. So they take it really seriously. Yeah, uh, yeah. They really... Yeah, they really... Throw the book at you. Yeah, they really get you. The federal law also prohibits fight fixing and is punishable by a fine of up to 10000 and five years in prison. Okay. In an October 4th, 1993 issue of Sports Illustrated, an article about Rick Parker and Tex Cobb was published titled, The Fix Was In. Mm. The article was a first-person account written by Sonny Barch. Oh, boy. What? Barch is just, an- <laughs> just such a reason. He, he sounds that. like a rat. Barch claimed he and Tex Cobb met before the match to discuss how it would end and that they all took cocaine after the fight. <laughs> I just threw that in. I mean, why not? We're in assuming of, you were on cocaine, in the, Sonny. In the middle of your fight story. Yeah. Your fight fixes story. Oh, we also did blow. Yeah. In April 1994, during a segment about fixed fights on 60 Minutes, uh-huh. Parker said, quote, these people that are making these accusations about fight, fight fixing are a bunch of low-life scumball pieces of crap, okay? Yeah, yeah. Liars, thieves, drug addicts, or people that are motivated for greed or their own personal desire for gain. They want to harm me, want to destroy me for their own selfish reasons. I love that he's saying your own personal desire for gain. That's what everybody... Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, he might be lying. He, Kevin Bart, Sonny's brother, 
And Derek Dukes also told 60 Minutes their fights against Gastineau were fixed. Gastineau declined to talk to the show. Oh, well, this is not very telling. In September of 1994, so it's just under a year later, mm-hmm. Bartsch recanted everything he wrote in the article. Oh, Jesus Christ. This guy is... <laughs> what the fuck? Is this, is, this guy sounds like he is cocaine. <laughs> These swings. <laughs> I mean, who the fuck... You can't do that. The cork's out, motherfucker. You open the bottle. Over the past several months, I have abstained. Over the past three months or so, I have abstained from chronic drug abuse and now realize the damage my false statements has caused Parker and others, Bart said in a court affidavit filed in Seattle. He had sold his story to to Sports Illustrated for $15,000. So so Parker had something. Bart ran out of fucking blow, and then then Parker gave him more blow. Yeah. That's all it is. I'm sorry. I'll be your friend again. I'm sorry. It's like the it's like the the fucking shitty movie that where the girl is sucking cock to do something, and then she tells on someone, and then five scenes later she's back to sucking cock for. Sorry, cocaine. what movie is this? It's all of them. All movies are about cock sucking and cocaine. What? I'm just maybe we're you, you you're seen, just watching porn, right? Have you seen Born Free? Uh, I've not seen Born Free, but I don't believe that's part of it. It's about lions and cocks. I'm sorry? About lions and cocks? It's sucking cocaine. Sorry? Sucking cocaine? What a, okay, back to the story. Um, Parker I think the Cobb- story is what's happening right now. <laughs> Parker and Cobb then sued Sports Illustrated for $120 million and $150 million, respectively. Cobb said the story ruined his boxing and acting career, which was apparently worth $150 million. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, Anderson was still suffering. They had done every test imaginable, Jim Murphy said. MRIs, vertigo tests, CAT scans, motion x-rays, acupuncture with pulse monitoring, biofeedback equipment, everything. One doctor gave him vertigo exercises that helped for a few months, and he was able to get out of bed and then finally get out and even work a bit. Anderson consulted with a lawyer about Swing Parker and had started working on his book again. Then he was coming out of a convenience store when two guys in hoods hit him in the back of the head with a baseball bat. They told me to forget everything I knew about Parker, forget the lawsuit, forget the book. This doesn't sound random. What do you mean? I don't like it. Total random. random, It's random guys who recognized him. (laughs) From the book circuit. I don't think you're right. From the book circuit. (laughs) From the book writing circuit. We love love when people are conceiving books. We're pretty hip on that. (laughs) Now knock it off. Now you stop with your book. Stop with your book thinking. Parker began phoning him, too, Murphy says. Tim got me and my girlfriend on the line once to hear. Basically, he told Tim if he didn't want to hear accusations about a book, he'd say, you know what I've done before. You know I know where your sister and your family live. You know me, Tim. You know what I can do. Okay. It's cool. He's he's, he's threatening a, a girl in a wheelchair. It's, uh, I mean, I'm not you? sure when caller ID came into it's, existence, yeah. but if it's around now, you right. get it for this You reason. get it. It's just like, oh, I'm not going to take that one. It's going to be about murdering my sister. Anderson didn't stop. Once, a stranger on the street showed him an address in Fort Myers. It was his sister's address. He suggested Anderson forget about Parker. Anderson said a doctor advised him that the only way to get proper treatment was to find out what he'd been drugged with. So, Tim called Parker. No way. And said his book was nearly completed. He just needed an interview with Parker, and he would pay $45,000 for it. Well, it sounds like he's parkering Parker. It's a good plan. Uh, the forty-five thousand is a little bit over the top. If I was Parker, I wouldn't have believed it. But apparently, this is everyone's an idiot. Time. <laughs> oh, you got forty-five k. You want to talk to me? Huh? Forty-five grand. Nothing seems shady Nothing's about this. Nothing's weird here. Yeah. 
I mean, I've tried to have it killed a bunch of times, but now you yeah. can get $45,000? Right. Well, I'll tell you what. You threaten to kill a guy's sister. Look what happens. <laughs> he gives you forty-five. He gives you forty-five grand to talk to him. Oh, fucking America. <laughs> Before going to meet Parker, Anderson wrote to various people in his life. I am dying. Liver and kidneys poisoned. I am giving up my life to kill Rick. He is responsible for the drugs and the poison I was given. Please oh forgive God. me. I was dying. There will be money for my book. There is peace. I want to be cremated. Forgive me and be good to each other. He he brought a gun for protection, he said. That just makes me think about his, if like a boxer's funeral should be like the announcer. Oh. In this coffin, <laughs> laying in... 280 pounds, <laughs> six foot one inches tall. Drugged out of his mind. Killed because he gave, was given sugar arsenic before a fight with an ex-NFL player. Ladies and gentlemen. Give it up. A doctor. <laughs> Rick's sister and his 14-year-old son, who Rick had not seen in two years, drove to... T- Drove Tim Anderson to meet Rick at a motel. I'm going to repeat that. Okay. Yeah. Rick's sister and his 14-year-old son, uh-huh. who Rick had not seen in two years, sure. drove Tim Anderson to meet Rick at the motel. It's uh, what we would call a pretty interesting moment. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things. Your uh, sister's driving me. The kid you haven't seen in a couple of yeah. years is going to be there. You're going to do a little, hey, how you doing? What's up? How you How you going? I think you're just saying you're kidding and leave. Then we're going to talk about the Look, book. Don't get caught up in the minutia of my sister and my son. I haven't seen for two years. I'm going to kill Elvis. That's the headline. But they're driving Tim Anderson. Yeah. They're driving the other guy. Yeah. Four of them met and reminisced a while until Diane and Rick's son left the room. Hey, how you doing? Good. You're my kid. Hey, what's up? Now Anderson and Parker were alone. Anderson pulled out a tape recorder, telling Parker to list every drug he slipped him the night of the rematch. Parker took the tape recorder, knocked it into the next room, and broke it against the wall. Anderson then pulled out his gun. Okay. Parker began talking. I don't know what they put in it. A little this, a little that. I don't remember, Parker said. Anderson dropped the gun to his side and said Parker then began screaming at him. The last thing he remembers... Oh, shit, the last thing he remembers is not good. Parker. <laughs> good Lord. It never is a good thing. That's a it, terrible start. It's never a the good thing. The last thing he remembers? <laughs> that means we're missing valuable information of something fucked up. The last thing he remembers, he woke up on a pot of gold. <laughs> never been the case. The uh, last thing he remembers, he made some sound investments online. The last thing he remembers is Parker saying, for that stunt you just pulled with the gun, your sister Aaron is dead. Oh. The next thing I know, I'm standing in the kitchen and Rick is laying there. I saw he was shot in the groin, the stomach, oh, the stomach and the knee. Holy shit. I counted eight places. There were actually more, so I obviously wasn't in control of anything. I went in the bedroom and put the gun in my mouth and said, forgive me, Lord, but the gun jammed. What the fuck? He ran outside and down the stairs. I took the gun, threw it on the ground, and bam, it went off, he said. He went into the bushes beside the building and tried to kill himself again. Five times I pulled the trigger, he says. Nothing actually happened. Finally, I heard this voice saying, my son, it's not your time. What? He went to the front desk and told the clerk what happened. Hey, uh, clerk, what happened? Hey, what's up? I'm in the room. uh, I'm in room 24. Uh, Uh, First of all, I need a new key. Second of all, I need a new key. Uh, There's a guy dead in there. Um, Do you guys have Fanta in a machine? 
Sir, why are you covered in blood? That's from the guy I killed. Excuse me? The gun won't work anymore, though. Uh, so I need, if you have a gun, I need a gun, I need a tape recorder, and... Uh, Fanta. Fanta. And, <laughs> and then there's a dead guy. I guess rags. So what do you tell the man at the front desk? Hey, this is what happened. Hey, I'm in 319. I just shot a guy in his dick. Anderson calmly waited for the police. Okay. I shot him eight times, Anderson told police, uh, the detective, <clears throat> the, the police detective. Listen, I don't want a trial. I don't want any attorneys. I'll tell you everything that happened. I want the death penalty as soon as possible. Oh, God. I think he's basically in shock that it actually happened, said Parker's sister. The first words out of his mouth were, Diane, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for it to happen like this. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, when you said you're going to go interview him and kill him, that was a it seems sign. like you That's did sort of know what you were going to do. That's a bad sign. Yeah. <clears throat> Anderson was removed from suicide watch at the Orange County Jail, and he was held without bond on a first-degree murder charge. Uh, he went on trial for first-degree murder. He pleaded not guilty by self-defense. Anderson said he shot Parker in self-defense after the promoter made numerous threats to harm Anderson's wheelchair-bound sister. He told deputies he kept shooting Parker to put him out of his misery. Quote, he said, oh, my God, you've got to help me. The way he was crying, I was feeling sorry for him. Oh, my God. So I shot him again. He kept saying, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, God, it hurts. I kept shooting him to make it not hurt. The first shot was probably the dick shot. The dick shot had him in the first one. Right that, well, yeah, because if you're going to do that one. Yep, and you yell, right in the Twinkie. Yeah, yeah, you go, right in the Twinkie. Here's some sugar. Yeah, going to shoot a load. Defense attorneys called several former uh, boxing associates of Parker's to the stand. So Parker died. The witnesses, yeah. <laughs> okay. He didn't make it. Okay, just want to be clear. The witnesses described Parker as a gun-toting troublemaker who traveled with bodyguards, threatening and intimidating people. The referee of the bout in which Anderson was poisoned, Houston Perkins, took the witness stand and supported Anderson's claims. Wow. Perkins said on the stand, Anderson appeared dizzy, an injury that wasn't caused by Gastineau's blows. Quote, Mark, there weren't any. Mark Gastineau probably couldn't knock me out. Said that Perkins. guy's still talking shit. He keeps shit. saying it. He keeps, he can't not say it. <laughs> like he probably, couldn't knock me out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I don't know what this trial's about, Mark, but that big football fuck couldn't knock me out. Gast- Tiny Houston Perkins. Gaston, I was just like in the actual courtroom, just sitting there like, what the fuck is with this dude? I didn't do anything. Why the shrapnel? Holy shit, Perkins, I'm not going to fight you. You're a fucking little guy. You're yeah. a fucking referee. I'm couldn't sorry. hit me. I'm sorry. What was the question? For the last goddamn time. The jury deliberated for six hours. Anderson was found guilty of first-degree murder, which carried an automatic sentence of life in prison without parole. Anderson had shitty public defenders. The ringside doctor was not called to testify. Anderson's attacks with the bat and the threats were declared inadmissible. Threats against his sister were declared inadmissible. The defense did not call a psychiatrist or a medical doctor or a psychiatrist to describe his physical condition or suicidal mindset or how the drugs would have affected him. They never called the arresting officer who took Anderson's suicidal statement. Uh, Two jurors publicly expressed outrage over the facts that they were never told that mandatory sentencing guidelines would keep Anderson in prison forever. If they had known that, they said, their verdict would have been completely different. Anderson works as a sweeper in prison. He reads lots of books, writes short stories, and looks forward to visits from his family and friends. Physically, he's much better. Besides doing scores of push-ups and pull-ups, Anderson does a regular regimen of 6,000 stomach crunches, 1,500 at a time, four times a day. What? 
know, that's your whole day. That's ins- right. That's your whole day. That's your whole day. You got no. You got no other day. <laughs> There's lunch, sleep, that's and crunches. You, it's a crunch day. Yeah. What are you doing today? Crunch and lunch. <laughs> crunch and lunch. Whatever's gonna happen will happen. Said Anderson. I'm just riding the storm out one day at a time. You know, it's not really a storm. The storm's over. Uh, Diane, Rick Parker's sister, visits Tim regularly and professes her love for him. That's interesting. Uh, right? Yeah. Over the years, there were so many people who might have wanted Rick dead. He wasn't a very nice person, and he took advantage of a lot of people. I'm not surprised someone killed him. I'm just surprised that Tim did it. Fair. Fair. His sister. Yeah. From a jailhouse interview, quote, you know I've been thinking about when I played baseball. I could have stayed with that. Seriously, if his fastball was three miles an hour I faster. I know, none of this happens. Holy shit. Just a little more fucking mustard. I don't know how far I could have gone in it, but I liked the training of boxing, so I started taking boxing more seriously. He pauses. He just likes Reflecting in the final seconds of his phone allotment. I should have stayed with baseball. Ugh. Learn a curve, right? Learn a breaking point. Yeah. October 22nd. Knuckleball. October, yeah. October 22nd, 1998. Quote, I'm happy the right thing was done. I'll finish the program. Ex-Jet Mark Gastineau, after pleading guilty to misdemeanor assault for hitting his wife. So he can throw a punch. And being sentenced to three. <laughs> and being sentenced to three years probation and counseling. He was given the option of attending a church-sponsored program for first-time offenders. In an interview with ESPN.com. <clears throat> God gave Mark Gassenau his son, Jesus. And you know what? He died on the cross and I'm forgiven for everything. What? I- <laughs> this is dynamite. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Start again. Okay. It's already okay. the, the, less, the missed lesson is so great. Okay. God gave Mark Gassenau his son, Jesus. <laughs> First of all, okay. it's very it's very one on one. I mean, it's very one on one. Yeah, it's not like that. It's a little narcissistic. Excuse me, Mark Astonow. You know what? Take Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This is my boy. For you, you fight cheating and drug taking wife beating fuck. This is for you, this Here. Jesus fella. Here, kill him, do whatever. This is why Jesus was put on earth, so you can do drugs, cheat at fighting, and punch your wife, and then go, ah. In the book of He Gets It, Gastineau 310. God gave Mark Gastineau his son also the third, third person. person. The third person. Jesus doesn't want you to talk in the third person. Oh my God. He's name dropping Jesus and himself. <laughs> <laughs> Between me, 107 and a half. <laughs> Between me, 107 and a half sacks, and Jesus dying on the cross. This shit's this is a great world. You know what I mean? If, I'll tell you what. If you had Jesus, Jesus as the other outside linebacker, right? You watch that pressure from the left side. Man, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like double the sacks. <laughs> yeah, double the sacks. How great is that to imagine? Like Jesus coming down and he just decides to play football and he's pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good. He's not great. He's not great. He's good. He can hold his own a little bit. <laughs> he plays for five different teams. I mean, he gets up a lot. That's the thing I'll he's, say about him. <laughs> he, and I'll tell you what, he's a solid. He's a locker room coach. Never That's hurt. what he's become at this point. Never hurt. <laughs> okay, sorry. God gave Mark. Mark he turned water into Gatorade on the sidelines. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> That's a, that. You know, Will Anderson is listening, and he had just thought of that joke, and then you said it. 
Wait, what? Will Anderson is listening to this podcast right now. Oh yeah. Oh, his brain went to his brain went to he turned water into Gatorade, and he just said it out loud, and then you said it totally, and he nodded. There have been multiple times where we've done live ones with Will, where like there's he's beat me to something by just like a fraction. God gave Mark Gassano his son Jesus, and you know what? He died on the cross, and I'm forgiven for everything. (laughs) That's so fucking crazy. Is Everything's there more? good. Is there more to that quote? I could not go on if it wasn't for that. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ in my life that he is my savior and he saved my life because of the fact that I would beat myself up. I'd beat myself up every day for <laughs> beating up my wife. I've beaten myself up for beating up her. It's a fucking vicious circle. The, the, the referee just pops in from the back and he's like, you couldn't beat yourself up. <laughs> your problem just say it perkins guy i could beat you up but you could you're so shitty as a fighter you couldn't even beat yourself up (laughs) you'd need yourself to take a dive when i was in the nfl i was doing steroids i had been checked okay two times so he's been caught two times yeah and the third time it was going to be in the papers so you know what so be out I didn't want to be embarrassed. That's why he quit football halfway through that the season. That is, what a great guy. Great guy. Well, I know it's just a matter of time until my cheating goes public. So I'm out. Hey, hey, everybody. I cheated at everything I've ever done. I punched my wife in the face, did a lot of meth, and uh, I'm cool. I'm good with it because a guy died on a cross a couple of thousand And ago. I believe I condescended Jesus. I believe a little bit. <laughs> a little bit of kind of Me and Jesus hang out in a truck. I'll be honest. Jesus is a little lame. A little lame. A little lame. A little straight line A little self-important. Unlike that Mark Gastonow, who's me. On July 11th, 1999, a jury awarded former heavyweight boxer Tex Cobb $8.5 million in compensatory damages and $2.2 million in punitive damages Whoa. in a libel suit he filed against Sports Illustrated magazine. Wow. Over an article claiming he participated in a fixed fight in 1992. Thanks, Sonny. On July 31st, 2002, a federal appeals court overruled a 10.7 million libel verdict against Sports Illustrated. The U.S. Court of Appeals in Cincinnati ruled that the magazine and its reporters did not act with actual malice when they published that former professional boxer and character actor Randall Tex Cobb was involved with fixing a match and that he used cocaine after the match. The jury's verdict cannot stand without significantly infringing on the breathing space that the Supreme Court has carved out for the freedom of speech, the three-judge appellate panel wrote. Well, that, you can write to Timothy Anderson in prison, D.C. number 538979, Cross City Correctional Institute, fi- mail, 568 Northeast 255, two, 255th Street, Cross City, Florida, 32628. And he apparently responds. Wow, that's crazy. Fucking A. And you can also write to the, you know, the Florida parole and say, this guy shouldn't be in jail for life because he shouldn't be in jail for life. No. No, he shouldn't be. He, he was shitty. He, he shitty he was, defense. I think a guy was fucking threatening to kill his yeah. sister over and over. Yeah. The guy had basically, he thought at that point, killed him, had drugged him. Honestly, you, you don't even need any of that evidence. Just be like, this dude wanted to be called Elvis. And then I think, like, <laughs> it's pretty open and shut. <laughs> man actively wanted the name of a guy who just took pills and died on a toilet your honor uh in defense i would like to point out that the victim had a red ponytail wig and we thought we overturned the original verdict thank you You are free to go thank you 
All I wanted to do was work out. <laughs> when you get, I, I just wanted to work out. When you call an expert to the stand, they're like, "Do you swear to t- tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth?" So help you, Mark Gaston. Well, let me tell you a little story about Jesus. <laughs> that Mark Gaston, the first line of that quote. He talks is, in third person about like, Jesus. You can almost hear like the priest who talked to him's eyes roll. Just go, oh, he doesn't, he fuck. Well, Jesus is my friend, so now I can hit my wife. No. Thank you. That's not what we've been saying. You know, Mark Gaston is... That's not... Mark Gaston can hit his wife because Jesus and him play basketball, basically. It's not what we've been... <sighs> Thank you. So uh, the reason I found out about this story was from... Uh, was that long? Yeah, that was long. Okay. Over an hour. Okay. That was fucking um, crazy, though. Was from the... Uh, I was at a party a couple years ago. That sounds A fight. Bad. It was at a fight. We were watching a fight, and uh, there was a gentleman there named Ian Morris, who was a co-creator of um, The Inbetweeners. Uh-huh. Which is a really a huge, show. huge show and had two huge movies. The second one has the greatest shit scene in the history of anything. I can't even describe you how it, great. Is it a boxing match? It's no. It's it's the in betweeners, and it, it's yeah. the shit scene in the movie is. It just he, it's so it goes so beyond. It it's like it starts out as shit scene, and then it just keeps going, oh, and and there's music, and it just turns into this epic sweeping thing, and you cannot believe. Like it's just it's I mean, like if you're gonna do a, it, go big. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, if you're gonna yeah. do it, and it's just. They went, it went from like it was supposed to be a one day shoot and it was, then it was like a week or something. Like it just turned like it's really crazy to watch. <laughs> so Ian Morris was like, have you heard about this story? Uh, I think it's called. What's the name of the book? The Locust. Oh, fuck. I got it right here. Where's the last page? Uh, so this is a book. Um, you know, I might have taken it off. Yeah, I did take it off. I'll, I'll put up the I'll put up the name of the book. But this is based on a book. Some guy wrote a book about this and Ian and his. And I think his writing partner were about to buy the rights to it, and Matt Damon swooped in and got it oh, at the really? last minute. Oh wow! But he thought it was totally on the radar, and nobody knew about it. And then Damon, so Damon is apparently, I don't know what's happened with it, but his idea was to make a movie out of this because wow. this is a great fucking movie. Yeah. The characters just reading it are you know, like Tim. Dude, Tim Park, Anderson's Rick like the, the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. He just gets caught up in this fucking nightmare, and and Rick Parker is a fucking and monster. And Elvis too. And then the justice is like, wow, fuck. Yeah. What is, there's no, it's just this tragic fucking story. Yeah. We should write him. We should send him the podcast. Well, he. Can you put a link on a letter? The person who did the research, Christine, did, she does a lot of the research. You heard me mention her name before. She uh, wrote him a letter telling him about that there was going to be a podcast about this. Oh, really? So I, I, I don't know if we can send him. I don't know how we can do it. No, you just put a link. You copy the link from your computer I don't think they can and go on, put it on the letter. They can't go on computers. And then he can just touch his finger to it, and then it'll to go his to leg? His, his eye screens. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Oh, that's a good note to leave on. <laughs> fuck. All right, so that's the Tim Doc Anderson story, which is just... Crazy. Fucking fantastic. Hopefully he gets out of prison at some point, but I don't know. The Florida... Law is a nightmare. I've already dropped my mind. The whole the whole mandatory sentencing thing. Judges. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Occasionally, a judge makes a wrong fucking call. Yeah. But it's the judge's call, and that's let the guy who's involved with the fucking case make totally. the fucking yeah sentence. Be, it's, it's so ridiculous. it's so juvenile to do it that way. Just let adults handle it, yeah. and morons step aside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let that, the judges. I mean, there you go with American policy. <laughs> Anyway, that's the address. I'll post the address also if you want to write him. Uh, who knows? Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, that was a that was a dollop. All right. Mark Gaston, I'll bless this podcast. Saturday, April, May twenty third. Oh boy. 2015. Okay. Should we start doing that? No, let's let's just end. Let's date like we, stamp it. Let's just end this one. But let's date stamp it. Date stamp it? Let's start date stamping. There's no point. And at the end, we'll say something like... We'll uh, say on the... No. Hold on. No. Hey, is, you, we, we're, we're done. This, we got, we're off stage. I'm wrapping this. I'm doing our new wrap-up. Hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. What the fuck? No. I'm not going to allow that to don't, be... The, uh, don't drink arsenic or LSD. Okay, great. All right, Stay good. safe. I'm glad we stuck around for this. That's the that's our new ending. It's not the new ending. Stay safe. Don't drink arsenic or LSD. It's terrible. Disagree. You, see, you think that works now, but it Disagree. only works for this one. All right. Don't what? say it, motherfucker. <laughs> Don't you end on it. <laughs> Stay safe out there, you guys. Don't drink arsenic or LSD. Unbelievable. Hey there, people listening to the dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I listen. I have a new podcast called "We're Here to Help" that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.